1: So, thank you very much. Go check out the site strengthguild.com. Scroll down to Iron Radio Collections and support the show.
0: Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and nutrition professor of about 20 years and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder.
1: Hey, this is Dr. Mike T. Nelson, associate professor at the Kerrigan Institute, creator of the Flex Diet cert and out here snowboarding in Montana.
2: Nice. Hello. This is Dr. Tricia Dusseldorf. I'm an assistant professor of exercise science at Kennesaw State University and the current ISSN president.
0: Nice. Hey. All right. Yeah. Hey. Okay. <laughs> Madam President, we will get to you in just a moment. Um, I wanted to follow up on something from last week, everybody, on um, these vegetable burgers that are now all the rage. And Mike and I were had on our old man, you know <laughs> – driver caps (laughs) old man hats and talking about you know this has been tried before in some ways but now there's a lot of interest i mean constant buzz through the ift and that sort of thing but so this is um from healthline.com strength and muscle sport news Some claim that the Impossible Burger is more nutritious and environmentally friendly than beef-based burgers. Others argue that certain ingredients in the Impossible Burger may not be optimal for your health. So this is just what we were talking about last week. Because, Mike, you were talking about, you were curious what kind of oils they would use. Yeah. um, And I was worried about the protein source. So it says the original Impossible Burger contained the following ingredients. Water, textured wheat protein... Wow, mm. coconut oil and potato protein. Okay, so creative, I guess. Uh, in 2019, the company introduced a new recipe with the following changes. Now it uses soy protein instead of wheat, uh, making it gluten-free. It contains a plant-based culinary binder called methyl cellulose. And I've talked about that sort of uh, thing before. Uh, I, I don't want to touch that one today. But, And then um, they replaced a portion of the coconut oil with sunflower oil. And, yeah. Mm, yeah. That's kind of what you were going to guess, Mike, I think. Yeah. Um, also, they use soy uh, leg hemoglobin. It's a particular type of hemoglobin, which, of course, makes it look like, you know, it's bleeding and it's got that taste. Uh, it says, unlike the heme found in beef, the heme in the Impossible Burger is genetically engineered by adding soy protein to genetically engineered yeast. Okay. Um, Now, it says it does have grass status, so it's generally recognized as safe, this special hemoglobin by the FDA, but some have concerns about its health effects, and that's partly because uh, there's only been short-term animal studies with it, apparently, Um, but it does seem to make iron more bioavailable uh, in the way that regular heme would in, in beef, so... Not, not only flavor, but maybe enhancing the iron uh, absorption as well. Um, here is the rundown. They're comparing it to a 90% lean beef burger. The Impossible Burger has more fat, 14 grams of fat instead of 13 grams in the beef burger. Uh, the Impossible Burger has carbs, probably not surprisingly, but 9 grams of carbohydrates instead of, of course, none in beef. So I guess if you're... Keto-oriented, you might have to keep At least an eye on it Protein is less, so 19 grams Of protein in the Impossible Burger Versus 29 grams in the equivalent Beef burger, and of course That 19 grams, like we were saying Last time, you know, maybe missing The odd indispensable amino acid And that sort of thing But also just less in total Uh, Sodium, 16% of the Daily value in the Impossible Burger Versus just 1% for the beef so that's the sort of we we're talking about, right, the processing and, and that sort of thing. Um, no selenium in the Impossible Burger, whereas you get 36% of the daily value in beef. So um, she summarizes by saying Impossible Burgers are significantly lower in protein than beef-based burgers, yet they contain some fiber. They do have three grams of fiber. Now, I guess I would argue nobody's eating a beef patty looking for fiber but
1: a whole three grams (laughs) right right i agree
0: (laughs) so so there's that um this is claims that producing this plant-based burger uses roughly 75 percent water uh less water generates 87 percent fewer greenhouse gases compared to livestock and requires 95 percent less land than producing conventional ground beef from cows she doesn't specifically refute anything uh, along those lines, Mike. You and I were talking about in recent months, you know, about rotating yeah. crops and about how, you know, when it comes to uh, top so- soil erosion, there's a couple of different things where you can't just say all livestock is all bad all the time. Um, but anyway, so that's what at least their uh, website shows. Again, um, the big controversy she seems to think is that modified form of hemoglobin. Okay that's only had research done in, you know, short-term animal studies. So I just wanted to offer that breakdown to everybody. It does look like if you're a vegan, you know, it will help you absorb some iron, which could be a, a problem for you otherwise. So Mike and I rambled about this last week. Tricia, what do you think about this?
2: Yeah, I think the, the sustainability piece is attractive um, in, the, in the current state of, of the world. Um, but I think if you're... If you're going for a hamburger, you should go for the real deal, <laughs> the real deal, and, and get, the high, get the high quality protein for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Mike, did that surprise you at all? I, I don't think it would. That, that's pretty much what we, you said last week. So,
1: Yeah, that's pretty much what we thought, and again, similar to what we touched on last week, I'd be super interested to see how many people are picking the Impossible Burger because of ethical reasons or because they believe that it's healthier and better for the environment. I'd be super fascinated to see if they ever have any data on that because if they're arguing that it's healthier, (laughs) yeah, debatable. Mm -hmm. That was my my
0: gripe, I think, that people, maybe this is an assumption on my behalf, but that people are going to choose this because all plants equal healthy. End of story. Oh, yeah. Right.
2: Mm -hmm. I think so, too. I think a lot of people are becoming really attractive to plant-based diets and and picking foods based on ethical reasons, so I think a lot of people will will say, "Oh, it's got to be healthier. It's plant based." Right. Is that necessarily the case? Mm-hmm.
0: I maybe I'll continue digging um, in my copious free time, sure. But uh, I'll, I'll I'll continue digging and look at maybe like what the National Cattlemen's Beef Association has to say about sustainability. You know, because there are counter arguments mm-hmm. to some of these sustainability pieces again. Um, Dr. Amerson here, she just pointed to the environmental data from the impossible burger website. So of course yeah. that could be slightly cherry picked and whatnot. So. <laughs> yeah.
1: And that also depends. Are you equating that to kind of factory farming like we touched on last week? Or if you look at sustainable grass, you know, raised beef by, you know, smaller farmers, that's a completely different thing altogether. So it's like, what are you comparing it against to?
0: That's that's a good point. Exactly. Right. So you can present partial truths. Yeah. And almost end up lying by omission kind of. Yeah. Right. And you know what? I'm not super against this. It's just that I don't want people... And I don't think a lot of our listeners are going to shy away from beef. I mean, Phil has no interest in this. <laughs> so, um, so the, you know, maybe I'm, I'm just waving a, a red flag for something that nobody is really going to care about anyway. But, I mean, God, wheat and soy as the protein sources? Oh, boy. I mean, yeah. mm-hmm. just, you know, when you think about, like, the Dias or the pdc those scales, that's, those are not as good. Anyway.
1: Yeah, at least soy is better than weed, so that's a positive progression, maybe. <laughs> sure, I guess. <laughs> you know what's funny about
0: this is, um, Doctor V. I don't know if this was the case with you, but when I was a kid, we used to mock the soy burgers in high school and stuff like that. Oh yeah. you know? they'd serve up these really kind of <laughs> yeah. bogus burger, You're like that's not a hamburger. And, and it's like now it's cool. I guess now it's cool. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I get it that the special hemoglobin is a big like flavor enhancer, and it is interesting that it can help with iron absorption the same way as real heme does. Um, but, yeah, and so maybe for vegans it might be healthier. Let's, let's make that caveat. But otherwise, yeah, I'm not real stoked. I just, you know, processed and – anyway. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe they'll listen to this. I doubt it. <laughs> we have a niche market. <laughs> And then they, we'll get a call from nasty call from a lawyer. So fine. Come on. Come on the show and correct us. Correct, correct the three PhDs, please. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so let's get to you, uh, Dr. V. Um, I can tell you my students like you already. Uh, <laughs> I didn't
2: tell <laughs> you, you you have great students oh my goodness Lonnie every time they email me um, you know about posters or ISSN stuff they're they're always so respectful and enthusiastic and organized you know they've already got their poster in um, abstract in and stuff for, for ISSN this summer and yeah you guys are always on top of it so kudos to you I think that's a lot of your mentorship
0: well thank you uh, I do I think they appreciate that you're they look at you as younger and cooler than me. <laughs> so so that's actually
2: good. Well, uh, I don't know if they're wrong then. <laughs> um
0: so let's talk about about you and uh, how you how you got into fitness, academics, you know, what you're into now, uh, just all of the above.
2: Yeah, yeah. Let's see. I that's a great question. I love. I really enjoy reflecting on on this stuff. Um, I grew up in a really small town. Well, I shouldn't say really small. I guess it's all, all relative to to perhaps where you guys grew up and, and the listeners. But ten thousand people ish. A uh, few stoplights. Few stop signs. Um, where everyone knows everybody. So I grew up in Iowa, a small town called Oskaloosa. And really, my love for for fitness and and sport began when I was really young, and that's that's thanks to my parents. Uh, they signed me up for my first sport was was t-ball. I'd say if you ask my dad uh, what my first you know uh, experience in sport was, he'd say it would be in racing because uh, he races uh, dirt track cars. And the first race I ever went to, uh, he won when I was. When I was a, a kid, so he always says, oh, your introduction to, to sport really was uh, because, you know, I took you to the racetrack. But I was in T-ball about six years old. And I remember as a kid, I'd go outside. We had this massive yard in the, in the country and I would set the tee up and I would just hit ball after ball after ball off of that tee and play catch with my dad. They signed me up for basketball. I played at the local YMCA. I was in swim lessons bless my parents uh they really made it possible they were driving me all around as a kid um i was in cheerleading soccer volleyball and i loved it all so as soon as school was out i was ready to you know go to practice and and compete Um, i still wish i had that energy today (laughs) as i got older i i continued to play sports i ran track um, played basketball and softball through uh, middle school and high school I also played on a a lot of traveling teams. Um, I had some really good coaches uh, at at Oskaloosa that were involved in um, AAU communities and and traveling communities. So I would go to tryouts and my dad would work all week. I'd play high school sports and then we'd hop in the car and drive over a state and I'd play in a a tournament, a basketball tournament or a a softball tournament. And then we'd drive back on Sunday and I'd, I'd go to school on Monday I remember in uh, high school once I went to prom and then hopped in the car as soon as it was done. We drove all night uh, to, to Kansas City, Missouri, and then I played in a basketball tournament and I had my nails done. I was out there on the court and I go to catch the ball nice. and it like breaks off one of my nails. <laughs> so, you know, my, my parents were, were super supportive and really introduced me to, to sport. I ended up playing uh, college basketball at a Division two school for a few years uh, Southwest Minnesota State. Uh, I went there to originally pursue in d- a degree in elementary education, and I really liked Southwest because they allowed the students to student teach within their first semester. So you could figure out, hey, is this something I actually want to do? Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, I did that, and I realized oh, I don't know about these elementary ed students. They're running around, picking on each other, picking their nose. Uh, you know, they're just like you know running around. I love kids, but I don't know if this is this is necessarily for me. So I started exploring um, some other some other career opportunities. I switched to pre med and was like. Mm-hmm maybe I want to be a dermatologist or a, a pediatrician, I don't know. And it was an interesting balance because Southwest was a small division two school, and the labs were only on Fridays. Your, your biology labs were on Fridays, your chemistry labs were on Fridays, and the basketball team uh, played back to back. So we would travel Thursday, uh, play Friday and, and Saturday, and then come back Sunday. So I would always miss my labs. So I had this this battle of doing well in my classes um, because if you missed two labs, you automatically were, were failed. You, you got an F in the class. Oh, wow. And so I couldn't pursue pre-med and play basketball. So finally I decided, you know, I'm going to focus on my academics and I actually stopped playing and uh, decided to, to really hone in on, on what I wanted to do and, and focus on, on my coursework. And that's when I took a, a kinesiology class um, with with Brent Jeffers. Uh, he was actually, a, he was not a PhD, um, had a master's degree, taught with a chalkboard uh, and, and bones, taught kinesiology and biomechanics. And he was incredibly dynamic. Students loved him. He would hop on the table and teach and people were engaged the students were engaged the entire time and I thought to myself during during one of the classes like how do how do you do that how do you become a a college professor I had I had no clue I just you know would sit in these classes and 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 study and try to work hard and, and learn and, and get an A and whatnot and I didn't really realize you know that was a a career opportunity and and something I could do so I met with him and said hey I want to you know I want to potentially be a college professor how do you go about that and he explained to me you have to do a, a master's and into a, a PhD um, these days he said you know you can't really get a, a faculty position with just a master's degree anymore unless you just want to uh, kind of pursue a, a lecturer position which is a great position as well mm-hmm. um, so I was like okay I'm on board you know how, how do I how do I start how do I get some experience doing this so he told me You know, if you get an A in kinesiology and biomechanics, you can TA uh, for those courses uh, during your last semester. And I I did that. So I ended up graduating early. I took uh, 24 credits in my last semester in TA'd uh, kinesiology and biomechanics and did my first research project uh, that semester as well. Um, I had some more time because I wasn't I wasn't playing basketball. There was another professor, uh, super influential in my life, Jeff. Bell, Dr. Jeff Bell, um, he did his PhD at um, Pittsburgh and uh, came to Southwest and had a lot of research experience. So we ended up doing a, a training study in wheelchair athletes, the wheelchair uh, basketball team at Southwest, really great team. Uh, that was my first research experience. And I, I was able to present that at the, the Southwest uh, Symposium, totally fell in love with, with research um, got all my applications in really was kind of battling between do i want to do biomechanics or exercise phys um physiology i was i, I liked both uh, chose to go uh to the university of wisconsin lacrosse and chose human performance and applied sports science because part of me still uh was kind of like oh, i kind of like the you know, really more applied side. Maybe I want to go into to strength and conditioning and, and coach women's sports. I wasn't, I wasn't so set on a, a PhD at that point, but um, I was definitely leaning more towards that that direction. So, went to the University of Wisconsin La Crosse. I was a TA. I taught anatomy and phys labs, uh, cadaver-based labs. So my office was right next to the cadavers. And I assisted with Xviz Labs, uh, worked in the lab under Dr. Glenn Wright, uh, who was an incredible mentor as well. Uh, completed a thesis, um, worked on developing a running Wingate test on a non-motorized treadmill. So that was, that was really, really fun. Um, and I also uh, returned to playing basketball. So I had a year of eligibility, um, and, and I played my last year at the University of Wisconsin lacrosse. Uh, really, really had a great, uh, great experience there. And during that time as well, I really started getting more into the fitness, uh, the fitness community. As I as I look back um, in the sports nutrition community as well, when I was in high school school, I didn't know anything about nutrition. I would eat carbohydrates and actually um, use caffeine for track and field events. I had a, a pre-workout that I used. Um, but when I got to and, – and even when I was in um, undergrad doing my bachelor's, I really didn't know a whole lot about the nutrition side, um, and really was just focused on sport. But when I was in lacrosse, I started getting more into the fitness community, more into the resistance training world, started running some marathons, bought a road bike, got into cycling, uh, and really started uh, nerding out on on the nutrition side um, and the performance um, kind of general fitness avenue. Once i finished in uh, lacrosse I went to the University of New Mexico Uh, so I left the Midwest which was a a big decision for me because all of my family is still is still in the Midwest uh, and went to Albuquerque yeah and I had a I had an incredible experience uh, in in New Mexico it is just such a a wonderful place Albuquerque is incredible because it it not only you know not only my experience uh, doing my PhD there was great um, but Albuquerque the city is awesome. Uh you, you have the valley uh, where it can be sunny and really, really warm and you can go up into the mountains and it's cool and there's hiking and, and mountain biking and you can even ski. I mean it was just it was really an eye-opening experience for me to have all of that, you know, right there outside outside my door, as well as incredible uh mentors. So I went to uh New Mexico and I originally worked with Dr. Chad Kirksick. Uh, he was there my first year and a half, two years. Uh, he ended up taking another job at Lindenwood, which you both probably know. Um, but he he was, you know, incredible getting me into the the sports nutrition world, um, helping me make connections. He was the first one to introduce me to the ISSN. Um, I ended up finishing out with Dr. Christine Mermier, uh, which not a lot of people know about, but she's an incredible uh, mentor. Uh, she's done a lot of different research from you know, rock climbing performance. Uh, she does nutrition research. Um, she's really, 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 really great clinical research. And she was who I, I finished out under. But at New Mexico, the really great thing about their program, and I'm, I'm actually sending a, a student there because um, I just I love it so much is that they allow you to do research in a lot of different areas. So we did altitude research. I have experience in biochemistry. Uh, I, I did nutrition and supplementation research. Uh, we did um, some aging and, and diabetes research. It was just an incredible experience. Um, finished there in 2016 and took the job at Kennesaw State. It was actually the first place I interviewed. Uh, I interviewed some other places, um, but... Uh, KSC was incredible it, the job posting was um, uh, very sparse in details and I ended up submitting my application like the last day uh, the you know the deadline and I was like oh, you know I don't know much about the school and whatnot but oh, I'll send an application in and when I came to to interview absolutely incredible uh, great people Uh, incredible lab space and and support from the department and and the dean and the university as a whole is really a a special place. So I've been here ever, ever since.
0: Right on. So you didn't really get that introduced into the resistance training seriously till grad school. Is that right?
2: Yeah. I just, you know, we would lift weights uh, at in high school and and whatnot, but it was really a, such a, an afterthought uh, for the, for the coaches, it seemed right. It was just something you did for 15 minutes yeah. after practice. Um, and I look back, and it's like I have all of this knowledge now, and all I want to do is share it with all of these right. these high school kids and these college kids. And it's interesting when I teach sports nutrition to our undergrads uh, here, um, and even some of our grad students still compete at KSU, uh, depending on eligibility. They have no clue. Uh, it's like you should. You know, we've got runners, 800, 1500 meter runners that you know don't know anything about supplements or or things that could be ergogenic and improve their performance or even you know recovery with protein and, and stuff like that. So it's very very interesting.
0: Yeah, it almost sets you up like a, <laughs> a missionary, you know, to these programs where the the head coach just handles all of the. You know the lifting, the nutrition, the whatever, and you're just kind of like, oh man, there's so much opportunity here just to shed some light, you know, on on all this stuff. Uh,
2: yeah, absolutely. And I I just uh, recently gave a talk to the the cross country team. There was a a girl that uh, was in my grad class, and she was still running, uh, and for the cross country, the K S U cross country team. And she's like, Dr. you have to, you have to talk to to the team. Please, please, please talk to the team because we we don't focus on this stuff um, and, and people have, you know, GI distress and they talk about all these things, but they don't, they don't know who to go to. So we set up a, a time and I talked to them and I told the coach and Hey, anytime your players want to send an email and, and chat, I'm happy to do it. Cause I think, I think it's great for them to have just, you know, 15 minute conversation could really change a lot of things for them.
0: All right. um, We will go to break. And when we come back, everybody, we're going to talk with Dr. V about, um, just memberships like if you're a lifter and you love learning where do you go you know what kind of certifications or memberships are out there um, what kind of opportunities to network just all of the above so we'll be back in just a minute
2: So there ladies and gentlemen, yeah, yeah, you know who this is. Uh, so I'm here to tell you about uh, Dr. Mike T. Nelson's uh, new
1: book, uh, Why You Should Eat Keto. I don't do it because I mean look at me, come on, I'm fabulous and I'm fantastic. Anyway, you should text uh Keto eBook all in one word
2: to four four two 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 to receive your free copy. Do it, do it now
0: Iron Radio is of course primarily a podcast. Okay, listeners, after more than a decade of joining us on the podcast Airwaves, you can now also become viewers on YouTube. This is not our usual simple backup of the audio show, but rather a growing body of video taste tests covering various foods of interest to nutrition enthusiasts, bodybuilders, and powerlifters. From within YouTube, simply search for Iron Radio Taste Test or Nutrition Radio Taste Test. In about 15 minutes, we cover taste and texture, similar to other products, uh, usefulness to the co-hosts, and whether we would recommend the product to certain clients. You may even want to watch our podcast feed or Facebook group for which products are coming down the pike, so you can taste test them with us. Join us for this new monthly project. (laughs) All right, everybody, we're back. It's um, Mike and it's Lonnie. Phil is away at a powerlifting meet. Uh, And we have uh, Dr. Tricia Van Dusseldorp. And she is going to um, just shed some light on ways to get involved, I think, as a lifter. I think a lot of us are familiar with the the good old boys or girls network at your local gym. And you kind of share knowledge and that sort of stuff. But when you want to broaden your horizons... You might want to think about professional memberships, but at the same time, you might be a little bit hesitant. It's going to be boring, and I don't care about this stuff. I can barely stand listening to Lonnie and Mike ramble on. So what might people look for? Like, what, If they're interested in joining a larger community, what suggestions might you have?
2: Yeah, I think my, my top two for the for the lifting and, and resistance training community would be uh, the NSCA, so the National Strength and Conditioning Association, and then, of course, uh, I might be a little biased here, right, but the, the ISSN, the International Society of, of Sports Nutrition, and, and because I have the most experience with um, the ISSN, I'll, I'll start there. Um, the ISSN is, you know, it's, it's really special to me. I, my first trip uh, to that conference, like I, I mentioned earlier, Dr. Chad Kirkcick, um told me about the ISSN. Interestingly, I knew about the NSCA when I was working on my my master's. Um, I knew about ACSM uh, during that time too, but I didn't know about ISSN, and I think a lot of people don't know about ISSN uh, it, because it's a smaller it's a smaller organization, um, not as large as NSCA and in the American College of Sports Medicine, ACSM, but it's a really, really, really great place for individuals who are not only academic, but in the practical side um, and are, you know, resistance training, um, interested in in muscle hypertrophy and protein. Um, So it's not always about just nutrition and supplementation but there's an applied aspect to most of the major conferences um, so we, we consider that the the annual conference have both a practical and applied section so uh, things that would apply very much to a resistance training athlete and then uh, a very basic uh, physiology um, section as well. So two two talks going on at the same time. Um, one more practical and applied, and one more basic. And I think it would really, really appeal uh, to the lifting community. Not only the the information that you're getting, the scientific talks, uh, but the community. The ISSN is such a great place to network, um, and that is my my favorite thing about the conference. The people are. Uh, more than willing to sit down and, and have a conversation with you. You just can walk right up to them and, and chat with them. It's casual, um it's it's a place where where you can really get to know a lot of people and and if there's someone in particular you know you might listen to uh on on a podcast and stuff and they're there, you just walk right up to them and say hi and, and they're more than willing to to chat with you. Um, so the ISM is a really great place. Um, there are conferences um that are affordable i don't think they're outrageous in cost the 18th annual conferences and expo is already already planned out we just put the schedule out it's in st petersburg in person mm-hmm. in person june 10th to 12th so we're really pumped uh, to get some people together uh, since we've been virtual so much uh, lately we also have been doing some virtual conferences and and webinars they usually Garner about 150 people from all over the world and have uh, very practical talks for resistance training athletes. Uh, We actually have a female specific one that uh, Eric Bastillo, who's the the vice president, um, he's an RD, um, really great guy. He just organized a female health and performance uh, webinar, and it will focus, um, there are talks that will focus on resistance training in women and, and supplementation um, for hypertrophy in women. Uh, it's going to be a really great event.
0: That's really cool. Um, so that's,
2: yeah, yeah. The ISSN is, uh, is excellent. NSCA, uh, I have to say the same thing is a great organization as, as well. I'm a member of the, the Georgia state board, uh, Greg Ryan, uh, who's from Georgia Southern is the president of, of our, our region. And he is, he's done a really excellent job. Um, I know there's going to be a lot of structure changes, on how those kind of regional conferences work but they're super affordable um and you get a day long of talks and they're recorded so let's say hey you know this this conference is going to cut into your training time uh they're recorded and you can you can listen to them to them later and and it's it's excellent a lot of applied information for resistance training resistance training athletes
0: right yeah definitely um as far as Certifications and whatnot. I mean, the NSCA. Would you recommend people start with like a CPT kind of thing and just go personal trainer focused? Do they go right for the CSCS? What's the structure like these days?
2: Yeah, that's interesting. I think if you're if you're looking for more of a personal training job, um, less uh, athletic specific coaching, then the NSCA CPT is a great certification. Uh, the CSCS. I have the CSCS. I think it's excellent. Um, it actually, you know, it you can personal train with the CSCS as well. It's accepted at a lot of a lot of gyms and by a lot of different organizations. Um, but definitely is more specific to to athletic uh, performance. So if you're more interested in athletic performance, the CSCS is great. Um, interestingly, the the NSC, I don't know if you guys know this, but they came out with the Certified Performance and Sports Scientist Certification. Do you guys know hearing,
0: that? Yeah, I've been hearing about that. Yeah,
1: yeah I've heard yeah. a little bit about it.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. Um, the requirements um, are a little bit are a little bit different. So you actually have to have a doctorate um, or a master's degree. Or if you have a a bachelor's degree and three years of experience um, and they put out the the specifics on experience, whether it's research related or uh, training sport and tactical athletes or sport based teams. uh, That seems like a really interesting uh, certification that um, could apply both to to training, um, but also kind of highlight your your ability to to talk about evidence based practice and, and digest scientific papers. So I thought that was interesting.
0: Yeah. I just think it's such a natural connection. It's no wonder there's so much networking between the NSCA and the ISSN, right? A lot of the same people are equally fascinated um, with weight training and how nutrition supports it. So it's just a natural, you know, yin and yang, I think, in a lot of ways.
2: Yeah, it is. It is. And the ISSN offers certifications, too. The The most popular one is the ISSN CISSN. Um, and that certified sports nutrition specialist certification is, is great. Um, it really kind of highlights that you have a, a good knowledge of, of individual supplements, beta alanine, creatine, um, uh, citrulline and, and, and so on and so forth and, and recommendations for, for protein. So having that certification, which, um, is is affordable i should say in a sense that if you attend a, a regional conference uh, that might cost a student uh, 40 bucks you get you know a 50 to 75 percent discount on the certification exam um, so you can make it super affordable to to get that certification and it really shows your ability to to digest sports nutrition information and and talk about it talk about it and really um potentially helps some athletes in that in that area
0: right in some ways it's reminiscent of what you're saying about the the doctoral yeah. level nsca stuff that's coming in the pike just being able to converse you know about breaking science to read scientific papers and understand them which is no easy task for someone who doesn't have a graduate education uh-huh. you know and uh-huh. stuff like that uh, let me ask you though mike um what's your experience with nsca versus issn or i know you're part of different like neurological groups and things like that Um, what would you suggest for listeners? I mean, they know that you love strength and lifting and all that sort of thing. And, you know, they would listen to your advice for sure, but you're also involved at a very high end with stuff. Uh, what do you think, Mike?
1: I mean, just to kind of echo what you guys were saying, just, I mean, go to a conference. Um, I mean, obviously I've been to a lot of local NSEA events. I think that's a great way to, to start. Um, because it's super easy to meet people, it's less travel once you can actually attend events in person again. Um, the bigger events, like, you know, the national event, which I've presented at is, they're super cool to see a lot of different speakers, but I think sometimes the networking is harder because the events tend to be so massive. They're still wonderful events. Uh, like what Trish was saying, I like the ISSN because it's generally relatively small. Um, pretty much everybody there is very open And I think just the dynamics are easier to meet people than some of the bigger events. So I would say start with whatever you can attend locally, obviously, once events are open. And then I think even the ISSN National Conference, which sounds kind of intimidating, is still relatively small, which is nice. Uh, Like Trish was saying, there's two different tracks, so you can watch the more academic kind of nerdy stuff. You can still watch the more practical stuff. And yeah, so I think the once you can go to events getting out and going to events there just isn't anything you can replace with that i'm sure you can attest to this too lonnie the amount of just people that you've met and just conversations you've had and you know one other tip i could give too is that if there's someone there you're really interested in meeting if you can even just brush up on what research they've done you know things that they're interested in uh that's always nice too because then they realize oh wow you actually Kind of know what you're <laughs> you're talking about, and you have uh, maybe a question that's an intelligent question to ask. And pretty much everybody wants to talk about their research, especially if they meet someone who's you know interested in it and has taken the time to actually read it. So
0: yeah, yeah, I think it's really notable with the ISSN how they embrace you know non PhDs in a way. Like Mike, imagine going to somewhere yeah. like. IUNS or one of these big international meetings, or even like uh, experimental biology. Experimental just, biology, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you know, there's 20,000 people, and I don't think there's a lot of lay lifters there. Just, just trying to pick up no. some new skills, you know, kind of
1: thing. So, yeah, and that's what I do like about ISSN is exactly that. You don't have to have a terminal degree to go there. You know, there's a lot of practical-based applications, and there's people that I've met there that are. Not even in the the fitness or nutrition industry they 're just you know fans of it and interested, and they can still get a lot out of it too
0: yeah, I mean it 's legitimate to be a science consumer, you know I have huge respect yeah. for people like that,
1: um, definitely,
0: uh, Tricia, you mentioned online and live. I just wanted to say one thing that I just valued so much is that of uh, of all the conferences, usually I, there's about four on my annual schedule that I'm looking at. I don't travel as much as Mike, but I've got my eye on about four at a time. ISSN was the one, thank God, that was live this time. I know people have different opinions yep. about face-to-face right now as we're slowly starting to emerge from the pandemic, hopefully, you know, knock on wood. but
2: um, Yeah, we're very much looking forward to it and feel like we can do it in a, a safe manner, as Mike mentioned. It's not... 20,000 people. Uh, you're yeah. talking 150 people and we, we've already got um, Joey' has been working Dr. Antonio. Uh, the CEO of Visen has been working really hard on on making sure that you know there's adequate spacing in the tables and, and people will feel comfortable. A um, masking will be uh, I think optional at that time. Um, by the time we get there, at least uh, for the for the hotel from from our last correspondence with them. So I think it's going to be I think it's going to be really great. And I'm feeling it's going to have a lot of a lot of energy because people have been in the virtual setting for so long. Yes. So I'm really very much looking forward to it. And I know travel budgets are, are really tight. Um, so I've been especially for students, I really want to get students involved. And so I've been trying to correspond uh, with different students and it goes for your guys's uh, connections as well. And Lonnie, your students, um, getting them uh, hotel rooms where they can be together and and kind of potting in a a safe manner um, and whatnot. So they don't have to spend as much money because I know travel is is really tight right now.
0: Right. Right on. Yeah. My one rule is that everybody who travels is vaccinated because by then I think that's... (laughs) possible half of our group already is you know because we're actually we're not piling into planes we're gonna we're gonna road trip it but if everybody's vaccinated and testing negative um Uh so i think Uh i think universities are starting to emerge and you're right the energy is going to be high i can tell you because last year was generally at least on a like a personal adventure level unsatisfying i was shackled to my keyboard for eight (laughs) hours you know for some of these meetings and stuff and um not – it's just not the same.
2: It's just not the it's same. It's not. It's
0: not. Um, okay. Uh, what about just overall um, tips that you might have then? I mean if, if someone likes education uh, – this is kind of putting you on the spot, but other than like trying to seek a certification or a membership or something local um, – does ISSN, for example, have things online like resources that people can just start to geek out? Um, where would you, where would people you know, look? You know, if they wanted to up their game academically, you
2: know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have uh, we have less of that available. NSCA and ACSM. We haven't talked as much about ACSM, but uh, they put out a lot of content. Uh, the American College of Sports Medicine, um, not as always specific to the resistance training world, but. Um, a little bit more clinical at times they've got the ACSM certified exercise physiologist and certified clinical exercise physiologist certifications um, from you know from that to, to personal training and group exercise uh, they even have a, a certified cancer exercise trainer um, and public health specialist certification they have. So many certifications, and they put out content and, and continuing education information associated with that. So if it's if you're looking more in the, the clinical world, I'd say that. but NSCA really does put out a lot of content too. They have um, continuing education modules as part of their, their website. Um, and that's not only uh, specific to strength and conditioning um, in kind of the general population, but they also have an awesome uh, tactical strength and conditioning uh, facilitator education. Uh, portion of of their website as well. So, I you know, if you're looking for for direct information, stuff you can learn on your own, um, I would I would check out NSCA and the American College of Sports Medicine.
0: Before I let you go, what what's on tap for you now? Like, um, you could research, um, you know, athletics. What is Dr. V up to these days, or even down yeah. the road?
2: Yeah, you know, we were really lucky um during the when the pandemic hit um kind of hard uh in, in March of I guess it was yeah, March of last year, huh? Already. It's crazy. Um that uh we had we had two really big studies going on that were grant funded and we were right at the end. Um, and one of them uh, was more led by me, but another one of them was was led by uh, one of my students, um, Alyssa Bailey, who is going to likely go on for her PhD. I had mentioned uh, that earlier, but we were right at the end and, and I sat down with our department chair and, and chatted with the office of research, and we found a way to, to safely complete those projects. And we've actually continued in the lab uh, with social distancing and, wow. and adequate cleaning. And so we actually we haven't really missed a beat. Did things slow down? They they definitely did slow down, but we've been we've been completing projects. Uh, the one that uh, the the one that Alyssa was was spearheading is. A really cool one, and, and we're going to use that for some upcoming um, large grant funding applications. But that was looking at three months of quercetin supplementation and the impact on bone turnover markers in postmenopausal women. So we're finishing up the writing on that, and we're going to use that as pilot data for some some grants. Uh, really, really cool study and, and cool results from that. Uh, another one of my students. Um, is working on her thesis, Michaela Lessie. Uh, she'll be at ISSN this summer. Really incredible student. Uh, love, her to, love her to pieces. She um, is going to go on for a PhD as well. She's studying the, the effect of creatine loading on body composition, uh, GI distress and performance in women. Um, so she's she's doing a female creatine study, which a lot of research on, on creatine, but not so much in, in women. We just... Uh, And, you know, these these studies vary a lot. So the thing I love about KSU and one of the reasons um, I, you know, love to to talk about the program and and really enjoy the university is that uh, you don't have to have one set area. Um, For example, I don't just have to study creatine or I don't just have to study protein. Uh, I can have kind of a, a general nutrition as my as my primary research line and and study a lot of different topics under that umbrella so we just got a grant uh thanks to to one of my non-traditional students brent Uken, who i know uh, uh mike knows uh, really yes. well thanks. yeah he he you know he is uh incredible um he came to me with this idea looking at isolated effects of of epa and dha he's been diving into the literature uh, we got a grant we're going to look at you know the effects of these Fish oils on for 16 weeks on VO2 max and heart rate vari- variability and muscular performance and body composition and metabolic panels. It is a massive study. Uh, we've delayed the start on that one a little bit. Uh, we're working with the company on the you know exact formulations and whatnot of the supplements. We want to do it right. Um, so it's it's super exciting. Um, as you can see, I've got a lot of a lot of student support. Um, can't do these projects without them. Uh, another student, uh, Ben Dalton. And I'm not the the lead faculty on this one. Uh, Dr. Garrett Hester is, uh, he's a great guy, did his PhD at Oklahoma State, uh, really uh, hones in on the neuromuscular aspect. um, But looking at fatigue during ramp, and rapid isometric muscular contractions, and it's actually using uh, non-invasive brain stimulation and non-invasive nerve stimulation. So Ben, uh, who is the student lead on that, also gonna go on to do a PhD, uh, really worked hard on piloting that, got it through the IRB, uh, wrapping that project up in May. So a lot of cool stuff. Um, More projects too, you know, I could, I could go on. Um, Somehow I've I've gotten myself into this enzyme area of research. Uh, We just wrapped up a a study on a a supplement called Solarplast, um, looking at um, the impacts of a proprietary enzyme blend on aging and and overall health, Um, getting ready to start another enzyme project on GI distress uh, in individuals who have IBS. NGI disorders, so that'll be a, a lot of survey-based um, uh, uh, questionnaires and and whatnot in middle-aged individuals with IBS. And another one, proprietary uh, enzyme as well. And I'm, I'm super excited for this one. Um, and and we were talking about you know plant-based sources at the very beginning of the show, but. Uh, looking at this enzyme's ap- or impact on amino acid availability when it's taken with different protein supplements, like a plant-based source, like pea protein uh, versus whey protein and whatnot. So we've got a lot of cool stuff going on in the lab. Um, we're we're still going at it uh, in there, um, even though uh, COVID, COVID hit hard and, and slowed us down a little bit, but we're still being productive. And, and that's thanks to um, not only the good faculty and, and collaborators, but Uh, We have great students as well that work really, really, really
0: hard. I think that's great. Mike and I are, we've been fussing for the last year, probably six months at least, that almost all of what you're seeing, like the kind of news that we get and share on the show and whatnot, it's, you know, it's always like um, observational studies or some meta-analysis. It felt like the actual intervention trials were grinding to a halt and everybody was just reviewing what's already out there, you know.
2: Yeah, it's been really great. And and thanks to the support of, you know, the office of research and allowing us to to continue and and the students being super responsible in their, their free time um, socially distanced and, and and being safe um, so that we can keep keep participants safe and doing adequate screening. So things have gone really well. Um, And we were, you know, we were, we were definitely kind of pushing, pushing the limit. We had some older participants in when COVID was really, really ramped up and, uh, we were able to do it safely, so very, very happy about that. All
0: right. Well, good stuff. Um, how can people reach you or ISSN, or do you want to share any kind of contact info?
2: Yeah. Uh, my email is uh, widely available, so they're always hap- or I'm always um, happy to correspond via email. Probably the easiest way is via social media. I'm on Instagram. Uh, and Facebook um, and I actually just recently created a Twitter so I'm I've entered the, the world of, of Twitter so I'm happy to connect on, on social media or, or via email perfect
0: alright well thanks for joining us
1: yeah thank you so much really appreciate
2: yeah. it yeah it was great
0: alright everybody we will catch up with you next week uh, maybe we'll have some cool stories from Phil